Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello, church. It is good to be back with you. This has been uh, quite the week for traveling for me. And we have quite a few of our folk traveling, and we have some visitors today. So it is grand to see all of you. Um, Just to let you know, a lot of people know that I went back down to Louisiana State Penitentiary this week to visit with Bobby and Milton. Uh, Last minute, they did not allow Milton to cross over to visit with us. it is frustrating when you work within a prison. They have um, their own little petty fiefdoms and sometimes they collide. The officer who arranged the visitor with Bobby did apologize saying she'd done all she could and I believe her. I believe she had done all that she could. But I did get to meet some others as well. I saw Sonny again, met a man named Jermaine that we, uh, I was kind of locked away for an hour uh, before an official transport could take me to the next place. And he was there <clears throat> mopping the floor. So Jermaine and I got to visit with each other. And that was, um, that was an extra bonus. Just want to say thank you. All you are checking in. I, there's Indiana, Tennessee, of course, Missouri, Florida, Ohio, West Virginia, five from Mexico so far, um, one from the road. I know what that's like. <laughs> Sarah, um, let's see, uh, Georgia, and there's another, Ohio, Kentucky, Missouri, Texas, 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 Texas. Uh, we, we like Texas. North, North Carolina, and it, and it goes on. Thank you so much. It is great to have you all with us. Um, when we started this a couple of years ago, one of the things we said, we were going to help people to go upstream all the way and find what is real. And when you do that, sometimes you have to leave things behind. People will call that deconstructing. And it is a term which is used very frequently in churches. You You are deconstructing the faith because you no longer hold to this, or you no longer hold to that. And every so often I will talk to people and they'll say, well, I I feel like I used to hold on to all of these things and now I'm finding out that these things aren't real and these things aren't required and I feel like I'm losing my grip. And my response is, we're not deconstructing only, we are also constructing. Because the whole idea is to get us to hold on to nothing and no one but Jesus Christ. To let the detritus of the world fall away, and all those traditions, if you want to keep them, by the way, it's entirely fine to do so, but we do not teach them as mandatory, instead, Jesus. So we're constructing here. The scripture says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with him. And from there, that masterful treatise, the the gospel of John is so unique and so powerful and so thematic, light versus darkness, being seen versus unseen, and that over it all is Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, for as John put it, without him nothing was made that has been made. 
And in him was a light of men. So here comes Christ, the word of God. And Hebrews 4 and verse 12 also calls Christ the word of God and says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know all of these things. Christ is what we hold on to. He's with us, not because we are special or wonderful, but because he is. And he has promised us his presence. He is our primary companion. He is our principal resource. He is our only weapon. And that weapon is wielded through love, not through weapons of warfare, not through aggression, not through attack. There are many things on the planet that are very valid for their intended use. You know, many people, if you have a, a firearm, you know that mere possession of a firearm is not a positive. You're going to have to know how to use it and when not to use it and when to lock it away. The same with a car, learning how to drive. Uh, I remember the, uh, the very gentle words my father said to me when I got my first car. Uh, I paid for it, but he helped me pay for it by saying, you can pay me back, and I, I did. But anyway, as he handed me the keys, he says, I didn't intend to hand you keys to your coffin. Behave. Now, you know, that, was, that was sweetness for my dad. Um, that, was, that, was, that was almost Hallmark Kardish for my, for, my, for my father. But it is true. You give somebody a car, cars are not bad things, but well, you can do awfully bad things with them. And therefore, the possession of it is not necessarily a good or an evil. We can go on, we can do so many other things that you can own. A hammer is a great thing if you use it right, it's a terrible thing if you use it wrong. We have been given the faith of Christ. We'd better use it right. We'd better not use it to attack others, to, to break them apart, to divide families and the like, but rather to pull people together. Last week, we looked at... Um, we looked at some rocks to avoid, the seven deadly sins. That's kind of important to know where they are. But as I brought up, if you focus on the rocks, you will end up at the rocks. It's rather like telling yourself that um, you're, you're not going to eat the cookies in the cupboard. Well, you will, because you're thinking about them. And you know this, if you've tried to break a habit, you say, I'm not going to think about that, I'm not going to think about Well, you're thinking about that. Jesus says that you have to, if you're throwing out a strong man, which he's referring to as a demon, and uh, that was a metaphor for many other things as well, and then you sweep and clean the house, that you're not done, because he's going to go get buddies and come back. But rather, when you empty him out, which is a good thing, you got to bring in somebody stronger. you got to bring in Christ, so that when he and his buddies come, they can't get in. So it's replacing with something else. The Bible tells us when you have a Bible, to use it right. In fact, we're going to talk a lot more about that starting next Sunday. But the, um, the whole concept of rightly divide the word of truth, handle it right. That's something we should be paying attention to. And the writer of Hebrews agrees, as does Paul that we need to learn how to handle the faith we've been given. So it might be nice to be good people. Now here's the thing. None of us are good people. All of us need a savior. And he bought us at a terrible price, but he bought us. 
And that's all good news. That's gospel. We will never be perfect people. In fact, I think struggling for adequacy might be fair. That might be an all right thing. Swim upwards toward adequacy. And I think, uh, I think we'd all be happy with that at some level or the other. But God does give us things to aim for. It's important to have a goal. I eventually will have to stop work, but I hope it's because, you know, I misused my car and went off a cliff or something because I love work. I cannot imagine not working, waking up in the morning without a goal. I've had several friends tell me my goal is to do nothing but what I want to do. Okay, fair enough. But I, I like a target. And God gave us some things to aim toward. I had a executive minister when we worked just north of Detroit, Michigan, in Rochester. His name was John Laster, an amazing man and still one of the, the finest men I've ever worked with. And he and I had been you know, giving goals to our church, and it was growing, and it was doing well. But we had a family come up to us and say something we had never thought about. They said, we are told to do well, and we're told to do better. But we feel like we're bowling with a sheet over the pens. And I was going, what? And they said, because we don't know how well we're doing. How do you measure that you're doing better? Brilliant. That was a brilliant question. In my entire ministry, all of the best ideas have come from the pew, not the pulpit. You know, it's people are allowed to think and they come up with great stuff. So we looked at each other and said, we got to find out ways to give you bowling pens. And we did connect, grow, and serve. We told our people, this is not legalism. You're never going to hit all these all the time. But at the end of the day, ask, have I connected anybody to Jesus or to each other today? Have I grown in any way, spiritually, emotionally? Have I served anyone today? Connect, grow, and serve. And if you didn't hit them, tell God you didn't hit them. He knows. And tell him that you're, you're going you're to work on this. But don't do it out of fear. Don't, I'm so sorry. Don't do that. Because that's not what God wants. God doesn't want you crawling on your hands and knees to him. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Say, listen, missed the mark, but I'm going to work on it again tomorrow. Is that enough? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Every day we can measure our progress if we give ourselves some waypoints. And as early as the 300s, Christians began to realize they needed some navigational aids. And they couldn't say, well, just read your Bible, because people didn't possess a Bible. Not for another, well, not until the 15, 1600s did that even become possible. And for most people, the money would still not have been around to get one of these until the 17 and the 1800s. And so they would see a Bible, not these people, not the 300s, people in the, you know, 1400s, 1500s, 1600s would see a Bible, one of those massive ones, up on the pulpit, and they were generally locked because you couldn't get, if you lost it, your church would not be able to get another one. So what do you do? How do you give them navigational aids? Well, they came up, I think in response to the seven deadly sins, to the seven Christian virtues. I'm going to tell you right now, you and I could pick seven different ones and we would still be legitimate because there are quite a few virtues out there. Right, So we're going to use these just as examples. And please, 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 
This, this is no legalistic burden. We're not tying any burden on any people. We're just saying, we want you to be, make sure you're headed in the right direction. We're going to give you some waypoints, some bowling pens, whatever metaphor you want to roll forward. I love Luke 11, 9 and 10. Um, when Jesus doesn't tell us, we have to figure it out. He says, ask, seek, knock. All right. Yeah. By the way, if you're asking, seeking, and knocking, and you're in a group like Our Safe Harbor, and maybe a lot of you add us on to another, uh, another church or a small group or the like, which is perfectly fine, um, you're going to find that other people are at other places and they're asking, seeking, and knocking. So grace to all. If they're not where you are, it could be. The reality is you're not where they are. Let's, not, let's never judge as we progress forward. Fair enough? Let's get started. We'll get, and these are old-fashioned words. Those are, that's an old-fashioned font. We're singing old-fashioned songs today. All right? So anybody out there under 210, sorry. Um, that's about it. First one, chastity. Chastity. What does that mean? It means purity. It has come to mean sexual purity. Okay, let's go that direction. There, there is nothing as powerful as purity. Now, there was a purity culture in churches that shamed young people and, and, and just was not helpful. You can be chaste without having to do all of the rules and the shame that they pushed. You know, it's not just about sex. It means dealing with sex honorably throughout your life. That's chastity. But it's also about having a pure heart and a pure mind. In the scripture, every now and then you'll hear about a false teacher. And it doesn't mean what you think it means. Because we use the, that term in a different way. In the church in which I grew up, you were a false teacher if you disagreed on the smallest issue with the leaders of the church. You were considered false. Um, we didn't fellowship other churches very often because of this, because we could not pre-certify their orthodoxy. Uh, so our youth group was me and my, my sisters, and there was a lot of contention in, in within, within the, the body of the youth group. But still, uh, and, and no dating, that was a plus, I guess. Uh, there was no, no, none of that dating, breaking up issues within the teen rallies. Um, there are so many things I want to start saying now, and I really need to get back to this. All right, shall I? Let me look and see. Oh, look, there are notes on here. Okay. A pure mind and a pure body. False teachers are teachers who teach for false purposes in Scripture. When a Bible defines a false teacher, look at what Paul says about them. That they are in pursuit of women and money and status and power. It, it doesn't say they're false because they're not exactly where I am on the Trinity. Not exactly on I am where I am on who wrote Second Peter. Nothing like that. It is about being evil and a teacher with evil intent. And there are those, uh, I don't know how I got on this news line, but in Facebook it'll say, here are news stories you'll want to see. And one after another, ministers caught in horrible things. We're to be chaste and have pure minds Pure goals, pure heart. So at the end of the day, we can just ask ourselves, did we keep 
ourselves pure in heart, mind, and body. And you will not always get there. Some, for many of us, it might be that you will frequently not get there. You do not be shamed. Go to God. Talk to him. Keep the waypoint. Keep the waypoint in mind. I drove to, um, from here to um, Ohio to teach for the state of Ohio and then turned around, drove all the way back, uh, spent the night at home, and then drove down to Louisiana and drove back in last uh, it was last afternoon. It wasn't evening, I don't think. Like four or five, five o'clock, I got back in. Uh, I rely very, very heavily on Apple CarPlay because I used to have to do maps. Those were horrid. Try to read a map while you're driving through downtown Cleveland. So then we got the little add-ons, like the Garmin's and the TomToms, and said, oh, those are good. Except that they didn't like me. Um, they, they continually tried to kill me. They would say, turn left, and I'm, that's a building. You know, they, they weren't entirely accurate. But now that we have this CarPlay stuff, it's great, you know, and I'm just driving. Everything was perfect all the way up, all the way down, all the way to Baton Rouge, and then stopped being perfect. My CarPlay kept going off, screen going dark. I'm in Baton Rouge, rush, rush hour. This isn't optimal. I, um, by the way, after I left Baton Rouge on Saturday, my CarPlay came back. I've been told by a couple online that there are radio frequencies that will knock it off, and there could have been something there. But the, the, here's the point. I relied upon the guidance, and when the guidance got, went away, I was going, this is not good. I need the guidance. These things are just guidance to help you forward. By the way, I won't do this with all of them. I won't spend this much time with all of them. But in, to help the Christians remember these, there were all sorts of little tricks. But they would do an art. And uh, each one of these was a tree or a flowering bush. And chastity was, was one of them. And then you'd have birds around it linking their virtues. So linked to um, chastity was purity, of course. But also wisdom, knowledge, and, and this one I really like, honesty but you keep your teaching and life pure. Well, the next one's temperance. These are old-fashioned words, aren't they? Temperance is self-restraint. Self-restraint. We live on a, on a planet, hundreds of thousands of laws. I walked in, and our, our own Doug Buttrey uh, would know this. Jean, Jean Ann Stewart would know this. Um, I walked into a, li a law library once, and I was going, oh, my goodness, God had 10. How, how, did, how did we go from 10 to this? And I'm not really sure it's making us more virtuous. In fact, I have been told by people who are, are supposed to know about all this stuff that it is actually impossible to pay your taxes without breaking a law. Or, of course, not paying them is breaking a law because they are so complex and contradictory that if you call the IRS 10 times, you'll get 10 answers. I, I believe it. That's why I send everything to an accountant, because if anybody's going to prison, it's going to be him. <laughs> As a Christian, we are to discipline, and here's the key word, ourselves. We are not to go around and tell other people what to do, what to say, what words are acceptable and which ones are not who to vote for, who to not vote for, any of that 
you're a person who makes choices. Make your choices before God. That's all. Knowing that there is a God, that Jesus is the Lord, the Messiah, the promised one, make your, make your choices in, this, in, in concert with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I got out of the habit of doing this years ago, but I thought about it as writing this. I can remember we first came to America, and we lived in Ohio for eight or nine years before we found out we were free to leave, but we were there. Um, had a great time, and I'm saying that because I know we got a ton of Ohio people. Um, had a great time there, but we, you know, handling money was going to be an issue because we had another career path before God hauled us off and threw us into a church, and it had a lot more money attached to it. So I would actually, before entering an American supermarket, which just I was not used to, I'd get the, the trolley, the cart, and I would say a silent prayer, it's your money, God, and it's your body, and it's your life. Help me make wise decisions. Now, some of that was because you guys are spoiled for choice here. But I can still remember when my wife sent me to get soap. So I went to a Kroger. It's a large grocery chain. In the West, it's King Supers. You know, it's, they're the same people. Anyway, I walked in, and there was soap. There wasn't. The soap. I'm used to the soap. And I'm looking around, and there were no cell phones back then, friends. That's, the earth would, had barely cooled down. Dinosaurs still roamed the parking lot. And I, I actually bought a bunch of different kinds, because you couldn't call home. Took home to Cammie and said, pick what you want, and I'll go back. And, and so I would pray before I shopped. We should pray before we do things. We should ask God, help us be disciplined people. And understand the value of delayed gratification. C.S. Lewis put it best, as he often did. He said, pain now is pleasure later. Pleasure now is pain later. Pleasure now might be spend all your money and eat all the eclairs and there'll be pain later. Pain now might be doing your exercises. And if my doctor is watching, let's assume I am. If pain now would mean pleasure later, your body still works later. We need to learn to control ourselves. Self-control, not others. Don't tell others what to do. You make your decisions. And by the way, that's, fasting helps that. Fasting is not an ordinance of the church as far as I can tell. God never required it. Jesus said, when you fast, but he was talking to people under the Jewish law who were Jews, and he himself was a Jew. And then past the cross, it doesn't seem that Christians required it except some did. And you see, that's perfect. If you're in a group and you decide you want to say we're a group that fasts in this particular way, perfect. And if you're a group that doesn't, perfect. Don't bind the rules on others, but make your rules. It's a little tree, and again, I won't do this on all of them. The little birds are self-control, justice, honor. There's an honor in learning how to say yes and no at the right time. And then, abstention. All these old words. Abstention just means the ability to say no. So you abstain from this. You abstain from that. Not to make you more holy, but because it's something that you want to learn how to do. Learn how to say no. Then charity. I can remember reading the Bible when it would talk about charity. 
you know, in 1 Corinthians 13. And they would say, it really means love. And then they'd go back and read Charity. Well, I knew a couple girls named Charity, and they weren't really 1 Corinthians 13 people. Uh, so I was a little confused with what charity meant. Uh, it is love, but it's more than that. Charity is charity. It is giving generosity, love, and self-sacrifice. It is choosing to give to others rather than demanding that they give to you. Now, that's a way, Mark, to, to figure out at the end of the day that I choose to give to others more than I told them to give to me. You might say, well, when would that happen? Well, you can yell at a clerk for something that's not her fault. I saw that when I went to Ohio. Um, popped in a shop, had to buy a couple things, because you always have to. And the lady in front of me made the new employee cry. Well, because I'm temperate, I didn't deck the lady in front of me. Plus, prison food is lousy. So, I waited it was my turn. I looked at her and I said, you're really doing a good job. You're new. This will get easier. But the people coming in won't get easier. You, got, you just have to make your decision for you. I don't think it actually helped her. It might down the road. Uh, but friends, the lady in front of me had demanded more than she was giving. Don't be that person. Be a person of charity. It's choosing to love others, uh, others when they have chosen not to love you. It's a love that reflects one singular fact. We walk with Jesus. That is who we are. We hold on to Jesus. Then diligence. Be careful and intentional. There's a, a game that I see whenever I see things, you know, film out of Japan in particular. They have a game, uh, like, like a slot game, but it's not slots. It's called pachinko. And you buy little steel ball bearings and you pour them on top and they bounce around. And if they bounce around right, you get more ball bearings. I, that's all I know about the game. But it seems rather random. It's kind of like my mother is in assisted living uh, and she was talking about a new guy that was there. And he's a really good bingo player. He's won four times. I'm going... That's random. You can't be, there's no strategy in bingo. You know, they said B17, but I'm not doing, you know, no, it's, but I didn't tell her that because she was very impressed. And I, so I, I let that go. Pachinko balls, bingo, these are random things. Don't be a random thing. Don't be a pinball. Make a choice, draw a line, go. Be diligent. I really like to be a doctor, but I don't like reading. Well, then you don't want to be a doctor. You know, I, I, I'd really like to be a lawyer, but I don't like talking to people. Well, then maybe you need to figure out where you want to go and then be diligent to do it. That's where we need to. Don't be a person that starts things and doesn't finish them. If you are that person, you can still be... Uh, saved and wonderful and loved by almighty God, but you won't just, you won't have the best life you could have. Let's pick one of these projects. Don't finish all of them. Just pick one, the easiest one to finish. Start with that one. I told Cammy, I have like a mantra in a non-Eastern sense uh, that I say to myself so many times a day, and that is finish what you're doing before you start that. 
because I'll just be walking through the office thinking, oh, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do Next thing you know, you're a pinball. Be diligent. Be zealous. Have a good work ethic. And don't let the world and its devices, literally now its devices, pull you away from your mission and from who you are. Like Luther, and I'm aware some people say he never said this, but I still like it. Like Luther, let's say, here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. This is what I'm doing. And don't get knocked off of it. At the prison, sometimes there are, there are, there are very, very difficult times. Be diligent and be a Christian no matter what other people are saying and doing around you. How hard is that? Pretty hard. Not for some of you. Some of you came out of the womb going, bless you. And not in the southern sense, God bless your heart, which is a lie. But I mean, you came out praying, God bless you. You prayed, you held hands with the doctors. You did all of that, all of that. Um, I came out, the doctor you know, whacked me on my rear end. I pulled a knife on him. I'm not having that. I'm not having this. You started this, buddy. Let's go from here. I have to fight on, remember to be diligent in who you are. Stand. Then patience. Uh, Bobby Hampton on death row has been there for 27 years. And he said, the two things you have to have are patience and a sense of humor. When I met this trustee and he sat down and I sat down. His name's Jermaine. He told me he'd been 23 years on life row. Well, he must be there for no parole for being that, that long. I don't ask anybody what they do, what they did. That's just not, that's not what I'm there for. So we talked, and you could tell this is a man that was hurting and lonely. And he said, what you got to do is get hope, but then they take it away from you, and you got to find a new hope. I'm going, wow, there was only a minister here. <laughs> Good one, God, because I'd been delayed for an hour sitting in a room and wondering, well, what am I here for? Uh, now I know. So I don't know what's going to happen with Jermaine, but I do know he's being prayed for. By the way, the prisoners I met say they pray for you every day, many times. I'm going, wow. You would think they would be saying, you got to pray for me. They, I don't think one of them said that. They said, we're praying for you guys. Hmm. Patience. When storms come, write them out. When the times of silence come, silence from heaven, silence from a loved one, write it out. Have the patience to resolve conflicts and injustice through peaceful means. It's going to be slow, but as far as I can tell, that's the only way to really fix them. You make laws, you make procedures, everybody's going to find a way around that, won't they? It's got to be love. It's got to be slow, and you've got to be patient. I'll just say, have as much patience with other people as you want God to have with you. There's an intolerable burden to tie on you. But it's a good thing to remember. How patient do I want God to be with me? Then I'm going to need to be that patient here. Early Christians uh, linked patience to peace, mercy, godliness. Isn't that cool? I like that. Then kindness. Now that's close in personal good. We've had that lesson before. Goodness is a vague term. We are to be good. Uh, if I write a check to 
hurricane victims in Panama City, that's being good. That's, that's being good. If I go to Panama City and I help them re-roof, that's being kind. Kindness is something within the reach of your arm. And that's what the word meant. You are among your kind. Now, by that, we don't mean race. We don't mean economics, obviously. What we mean is anytime we walk into them, these are our people. And now we can be kind to this person. I cannot change prison systems, but I can talk to Jermaine. You know, I cannot do so much. But what I can do is do what is in front of me. And, and as we often say, do what you can with what you've got for the people in front of you. Do not spend your days thinking about what you would do with other things and other people and other situations. Take what you've got and who you are and do what you can where you are. That is kindness. It's doing good without any hidden motive, without expecting anything in return. It's compassion. It's friendship offered to people who can do nothing for you. As the John Bunyan quote was during the giving slides, every day he had a goal to do something for someone who couldn't do anything for him in return. That's a, that's a pretty good goal to have. That's actually not one of my bowling pins, but I'm thinking about it because you, you can shift these things around. This is love and service without spite. And of course, early Christians linked it to things, loyalty, compassion, and integrity. Integrity just meaning it's you're an integral person. Um, your, your faith actually does fit your life. What you say, you believe, actually matches your action. You've integrated these. Well, then humility. A lot of you have not seen knights be knighted because you've you lived over here and you, you watch them in the movies. But I bet you all know that when a knight's getting knighted, they have to kneel. Humility before honor. Always humility. And humility is the next of the Christian virtues. Remember who God is and remember who you are. Let God forgive you and those who hurt you. Be humble. Humble enough that you are not their judge. Refuse to judge, but walk in wisdom. Humility is wisdom and strength under control. Moses was referred to in scripture as the most humble man who ever lived. When I read his story, I never, have him, I never see him say, oh, you guys are just saying that, you know, I'm not that good a leader. I don't see any of that. I see military action. I see ruler and administrative action. I see um, involvement, intervention with God twice, saying, God, don't do what you were planning to do because I, I want this. I see all of that. And so in what way was he humble? Because he had wisdom and he had strength, but he kept it under control. He knew who God was, and he knew he wasn't God. So those are the seven virtues. Keep your ship pointed in that direction. There's a thing about boats and the sea, and I love the sea. Um, my people come from islands. Uh, and in the north, you can tell, you could read through us. Uh, we're so, so white, so clear, but we're up there, and I love the sea. Just absolutely love it. But if you're in a boat uh, or a ship, if you don't know the difference, if your ship goes down, they send boats to rescue you. <laughs> smaller you know their definition anyway 
Um, every single moment will change the direction of your boat. Now, we're not talking with autopilot and the like. We're talking about wind. We're talking about waves. There is drift. There's torque on the, blade, on the propellers. All of this. And that's why you see them steering. Because it take, anymore, they've got the wheel or they've got a little joystick. But the point is, you have to keep correcting. Have you ever seen a kid get behind the wheel of a car for the first time? We're not talking to drive. We're talking like a six-year-old, three-year-old, something like that. What do they do with the wheel? They whack that thing back and forth like I just did there, right? My phone didn't go flying. That's a win. Um, it, that's what they see us doing as we're driving. We're just doing this. By the way, the commercial, it's an American commercial. So those of you overseas, they're trying to push a semi-autonomous driving and so everybody in the car is doing clapping games. And I'm going, would you call me before you get on the road? I would like you to make constant corrections. Well, that's what we have to do with our life. We are out at sea. Our safe harbor is Christ. It is not a sheltered cove. And Peter and the rest were caught in a storm and they'd lost the power over that boat. They feared for their lives. And when Peter saw Christ walking on the water... He said, let me come to you. Because in the middle of any storm, Christ is a safe place to be. Safer than the boat. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, there you are. But Peter failed. He, uh, he, he eventually looked about, he saw the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. All right, fair enough. But Peter still holds the world record for human walking on water. So... Until you can beat it. Besides, I think Peter made the right call. He wanted to be where Jesus was. That's the place you want to be. So yes, we're going to deconstruct some things, but we're not leaving you without faith. What we're doing is letting you see the faith that was hidden. It's rather like taking years, decades of varnish and paint off a table and then you go wow we watch a lot of HGTV because I'm married to a designer and evidently that was part of the vows I, uh, anyway and time after time after time now we only watch the show that where they buy an old house and fix it it's not all the other if you don't know that's all their shows anyway so and they'll go well let's see what we've got under here and they pull up tatty linoleum, lino as we would call it, or old carpet, and their beautiful hardwood floors. All the time. And they're going, wow. And like you, I'm thinking, who saw those wooden floors? And you say, you know what that needs? Some purple shag. <laughs> Some shag carpeting here. That, you know what that needs? Some linoleum that comes in a tube. A lot of people saw Jesus and said, yes, we love Jesus, but that's not enough. Let's layer this with tradition. Let's layer this with law. Let's layer this with legalism. Let's layer this with division among other believers. Let's, let's pull it back. Pull it back. But this is not deconstructing to nothing. This is deconstructing to show us Christ so that when we hold on, we hold on to him. Just see whatever Christ is doing. These seven virtues, you don't have to have them. Find a way to keep yourself pointed toward him. 
use these virtues or something else as your bowling pens or as your car play. But don't use them to beat yourself up. He didn't ask you to do that. And certainly don't use them to beat up anybody else. Be patient. How many, how many times did you have to say that to your kids? I'm the kid in the back of a car, God's driving, going, am I there yet? Am I there yet? Am I there yet? And so far, he hasn't pulled this car over. My dad always said he would, but he didn't. Instead, he sent back the arm of doom, and just whoever was in the vicinity got it. God's not going to do that. Be patient. He'll take the wheel. He'll guide you home. For where there is Christ, there is love. There is peace. And yeah. There's purity of heart.